Hello and welcome to the Royal College of Psychiatrists podcast with me, Ella Marchant. You're listening to the Climate Change Podcast mini-series, which we are bringing to you alongside the College's position statement on sustainability. Our mental health is deeply connected to the health of the natural world and we will be exploring this connection across three short podcast episodes. On episode three, we will be talking to Roger Duncan. Roger is a systemic psychotherapist, author and lecturer. Roger works in child and adolescent mental health and in private practice and has been exploring adolescent well-being and nature connection for 30 years. He believes that we are now not only facing an ecological crisis but also a narrative collapse, a breakdown in how to make sense of our relationship with the natural world. His work is an invitation into a process of deep listening to find a radically reimagined ecological approach to therapy for the task of supporting future generations of children and adolescents to become generative, altruistic and ecologically integrated adults. Roger, could you please introduce yourself and talk to us a little bit about your day-to-day routine at work? Okay, yes, hi Ella, I'm Roger Duncan. I'm a systemic family therapist uh, working in Oxford Health and in private practice. I work in CAMS um, and I'm the author of a book called Nature in Mind, uh, based on work I've been involved with for the last 30 years. Uh, I'm also designing uh, and running a diploma for CONFER, uh, a training organisation, next year called Eco-Psychotherapy and the Emerging Adolescent Mind and a an online webinar which started this week which is an introduction to that course called uh, Reclaiming Our Indigenous Relationship with Nature. And could you tell us a little bit about your personal relationship with nature and how you feel it's benefited your own mental health? Yeah sure I mean I've, I've been involved in nature for you know years and years I was a sort of nature kid you know spent a lot of time running around outside um, and you know I built I built a very strong connection with nature um, you, you know and later as I trained as a psychotherapist I realized you know some of the reasons why why I did that um, and uh, I've always had this strong connection with uh, wild places I spent a lot of time you know, visiting wild places, walking wild places uh, when I when I was younger. And more recently in lockdown, you know, I developed a practice of walking on a daily basis on a particular walk. And that's really that's really deepened the sort of here and now connection with nature for me. Um, and, you know, it's very it's very grounding for me. I've You know, my connection with nature is very very strong. Also, I have a nice garden. I spend a lot of time growing things in my polytunnel, which is which is really, I find really nourishing. Yeah, I think growing things can be very therapeutic. And I'd like to talk to you a bit about the role of the environment in helping with attachment styles and trauma. Yeah, so, uh, so when we think of attachment, you know, as a mental health workers, we think of attachment with our with our parents and how we learn those attachment styles and how that influences, for better or worse, all our social relationships. And I suppose from an eco psychology perspective, uh, from an ind- indigenous perspective, indigenous people saw nature differently. They saw nature as um, interactive and uh, they were in relationship with nature. So. Um, uh, so in that in that way, their attachment styles were much more sophisticated. So they had a much bigger relationship with nature and they had a much more interactive um, relationship, not only with people, but also animals, plants and, and the whole world. And that's something we've really lost in the West. It's something I've done a lot of research in. Um, 
for my for my book particularly and I suppose one of the things that influences me is is work by an organization called Reclaiming Youth at Risk uh, and a book that they've written called Reclaiming Youth at Risk which uses an indigenous developmental tool to understand trauma so understand attachment rather so basically rather that you know in the west we tend to think of attachment to our parents to our family whereas the Reclaiming Youth at Risk uses this model called the Circle of Courage, which includes our family, but also includes our extended family, tribal identity, and also land and connection with nature as part of, a, as part of an attachment uh, cycle, really, attachment container. And we kind of lost that in the West, I think. So that's the kind, that kind of thinking is in my mind when I'm well, I'm thinking about developing eco-psychotherapy practice and, uh, and and thinking about patients from an eco-psychotherapy point of view. And how do you feel like nature interacts with, I don't know if I should say attachment styles or attachment needs, but how mm-hmm. do you feel like nature interacts with those? Well, I think we are, you, you know, I think from an Indigenous perspective, which is kind of where I'm coming from, I suppose, uh, because we, I think we are all Indigenous people, even though we have we may have lost that many genera- through many generations. You know, we are part of nature. We are connected to nature. We're just living through a period in history where we've kind of forgotten that. And, and actually, that has quite serious consequences for the environment, but also for our mental health. So do you believe that anxious attachment or fearful attachment or avoidant attachment could be potentially resolved through interacting with the environment interacting with wilderness i well i think it gives a i think it gives a deeper sense of connection you, you know i think if you if you read the literature um on on this you know, connection with nature can actually heal heal attachment um you know one of the programs i've studied is um uh, wilderness programs in in the United States with an organization uh, organization called Open Sky Network, and they they have specifically researched attachment uh, and, and wilderness and how wilderness experience uh, can help uh, complex attachment difficulties. That's fascinating. Thank you. Could you tell us about mental health services that are adopting these types of sustainable eco practices? And what could other mental health services and trusts learn from these examples? Well, I think there's uh, there's ongoing work at the moment with a lot of the wildlife trusts that are trying to link up with mental health services to provide outdoor spaces for people with mental health uh, issues. I mean, this is often often this is with adults, uh, but I think what, one of the projects I'm uh, in the process of developing it got delayed through COVID is for an inpatient unit, developing connections between an inpatient, adolescent inpatient unit and uh, and wildlife trusts. Uh, and that's just really a pilot project we're starting. Also, uh, you know, on my on my uh, my course this week, I had Sue Stewart Smith, who talk, who's a psychiatrist, um, who talks about gardening, the benefits of gardening. And she's researched a lot of projects around, the, around um, different places where they're connecting uh, mental health patients or, or people who are, uh, uh, you know, dissociated from their disconnected youth at risk with gardening projects. And that's that has a massively positive effect in, in America and also in the UK. Um, and historically, this was also used for trauma. Uh, you know, again, Sue Stewart-Smith talks about how after the Second World War, there are a lot of projects, horticultural projects, which were used for healing PTSD. 
What would you recommend for other trusts to learn from these organisations that are using these kind of practices? Well, I think it's really worth exploring this connection with nature and, you know, having a rethinking really what mental health is all about, because there's a strong component, I think, in mental health in disconnection, disconnection with from cult, disconnect. Well, what you, what you see it, with developmental trauma is often a disconnection from within the family and a dissociation. And actually that can be you know, I think that can be healed by connection to nature and a wider community and what wider systems, really. I suppose it's it's having a more of a systems systems way of thinking about nature rather than, you know, thinking about mental health as a, as a medical model from a, from a medical issue. Yeah, thinking about it more alternatively. More, more in terms of, you know, what, what mental health, you know, why, why we're suffering from this mental health with these mental health issues now and I think what lockdown has done is it's brought to a focus the fact that actually people really need to connect with the outdoors. Yeah definitely I think there's a lot of people who don't even get out every day they mm -hmm. sit at their desk for you know eight hours without mm -hmm. any time outside and even in a place like London there's always parks to go to um, but I don't think people prioritise it and I'm not really sure why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe because they because they don't, uh, you know, that's not something that's promoted particularly. It's not something that people think about particularly well. And I said, as I said, you know, this is, we're living through a period of history where we we don't connect with nature very well. I think previously um, that that connection has been much better understood. And of course, with indigenous cultures, that was absolutely part of their core culture. And we've kind of moved away from that to. Uh, at, at our peril, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, could you talk to us about the woodland management project that you did with young people? Yeah, this was part. This is work I was involved with before um, before I joined the NHS and before I trained as a systemic family therapist. In fact, I worked for ten years in an independent specialist college, and uh, we had a variety of um, adolescents who were showing pretty complex behaviour attachment issues, learning difficulties, um, youth at risk. Uh, and I was part of developing uh, a woodland management project. So I had a 25 acre woodland that was part of our project. And we brought young people into that um, and embedded them as, as it were in um, traditional woodland management practice. Uh, so coppicing, felling, charcoal making, tree planting, um, and that was part of an educational program. And, you know, over uh, a period of time, I saw, you know, huge change in, in the, those young people through their exposure to nature, through, through physical activity, but also through um, their involvement in the team, you know, being part of a, a community, being part of a, a team of people that were actually working on the land and thinking about the land and caring for the land. And what kind of changes did you see with these young people as you worked with them? Well, I think this is, you know, it's in line with the, the research that um, they've done at the Open Sky programme in, in America, the one I talked about. Uh, people just people just improved their mental health, improved their anxiety and became more engaged in, in, in society and were able to move into formal education. I remember there was uh, one one young lad I worked with in, in the coppice and the first year he didn't engage at all. The second year um, 
he came out and sort of sort of started playing around in the woods. And the third year, because it was a, it was a you know it was a long program, the third year he engaged in the woodland activity and then went on to study uh, arboriculture. And that's you know that so that's someone who was you know completely um, you know ex ex excluded as it were from education, being able to re-engage through physical activity in nature. Thank you so much. And what sort of treatments are sustainable eco treatments replacing? Why is this good for our environment? Well, I think I, I think again, thinking about the environment and climate change, it's it's I think it's really helpful to think about this as a systemic issue rather than a medical issue. What I mean by a medical issue is that you know there's one issue and that we can we can solve it. So climate change is is a, is a problem. We can fix it if we reduce carbon. I think what we're looking at is a much more um, a systemic problem uh, with the forests, the burning of the forests, the buildup of plastics, the sea, the mental health, the social breakdown. There's, a, you know, if you if you if you study if you study what's going on <clears throat> globally, you realise there's a much bigger picture than just um, bu building up carbon in the in the atmosphere. <clears throat> and and we have to look we have to look at why this is happening. We have to look back, get a really lo a long view of history, an eco psychology view of history. So thinking that actually. As human beings, we've we've been uh, indigenous hunter gatherers for a very, very long time, or we've been connected with nature at a very deep level for a very long time. And it's only very recently that this that started to unravel with industrialization. So really thinking, obviously, we can't go back to being hunter gatherers, but we have to rethink our connection with nature and and our, our mental health and try to find ways that actually we can we can reconnect people with nature and their understanding of nature, their view of nature and how this improves our mental health and how it improves, uh, you know, sustainable practice really in our, in our society. And finally, what kind of changes, just building on what we, a little bit on what we were talking about before, what kind of changes have you seen happen firsthand when patients and service users interact with their environment? I've I've seen people get you know get radically better you know as I said talking about that case of a young a young person who was excluded you know from his behaviour his anxiety but also you know I've worked with young people who have severe autistic tendencies who've actually been able to re-engage with society through connecting with nature rather than connecting with people and I think you know when with with attachment difficulties it's quite often difficult to uh, connect with people socially um, and yet we can get a we can get a relational connection with nature with plants and animals uh, and build up that build up that those kind of relational skills in a way which is which is safer and then those can be later transferred to a to a human setting so I think nature has a, a fantastic role to play you know a vital role to play and you know I think there's a, there's a lot of interest in uh, eco psychology and nature based practice developing now, but we're we're working uphill, I suppose, against a kind of an idea that nature is somehow out there that we have to kind of preserve rather than we are nature and nature needs to be in every part of our lives. I, I suppose the, the, the key thing is about, you know, indigenous models of uh, of nature and mental health or indigenous models development models and that's for me that's quite important and I suppose the thing you know the thing I struggle with is 
you know with it within the within the nhs i suppose is that nature is seen very much as something outside you, you know like where i work in in the, in the hospital there's a guy that comes and mows all the lawns and cuts the trees down and puts a few plants in and that's the kind of grounds yeah uh, and all the mental health stuff goes on inside and actually there's all this land that could be used for gardening or you know uh, growing vegetables or having a, a you know therapeutic garden but it's not it's not used because yeah. the thinking's not really there Thank you to Roger Duncan for lending his expertise to the Climate Change Podcast mini-series. If you would like to read our full position statement on sustainability, please go to our website, www.rcpsych.ac.uk.